If you would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21, this is God's word. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to what Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, 
I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Several stories in this one chapter, and we'll take them one at a time. The first is the birth of Isaac. Now, this is something that we were expecting because God had said it was going to happen. And when God says something's going to happen, you can count on the fact that it's going to happen. Not only did it happen, but you will notice it happened because God was gracious. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. We could just stay there. The birth of this child was gracious to Sarah. It was also gracious to Abraham. It was also gracious to the whole earth. Because it is through this child that God is going to one day provide an even more miraculous birth. God is going to send his son, born of a virgin, who will take the punishment that we deserve and conquer death for us. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. All through the scriptures, we have great and precious promises from God. That's the description scripture gives us of his promises. Great promises by which we become partakers of the divine nature. I mean, that's not here in this passage. That's the New Testament, which tells us that God's plan in sending Messiah was not simply that we might be forgiven and avoid hell. It is so that we might become part of God's family forever. What we sang about in worship this morning, seeing Jesus in all of his glory and running into the Father's embrace. That's God's intention for his children. He loves us more than you can imagine. And he wants us to be joined with him so that our relationship with him is not just everlasting, which is amazing, 
But our relationship with him is intimate because as Jesus said in John's gospel, the Father loves those of us who trust in Jesus just as he loves Jesus. See, that's one of the verses that always blows my mind. I mean, I, I know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that's wonderful, and I'm really glad. And so there's a sense in which God loves me. Mm, but it's a whole lot more than I can comprehend. Jesus says to his disciples, he loves you the way he loves me. Actually, he tells them that's what he prayed to the Father. He wants the Father to help us know that we are loved by the Father the way that Jesus is loved by the Father. It's all grace. It's not something we earn. It's not something we accomplish. It is all grace. And God did. The Lord did what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Two of the things that you will see as we carry on through Genesis and other scriptures is the fact that God not only does what he promised, but he does it as he promised. He did it at the time he had said. The previous year he'd said within the year this is going to happen. Seemed impossible. But it wasn't luck. It wasn't chance. It was God doing what he promised, when he promised, the way he promised. The other thing you're going to see is that God, in doing things as he promised, often does things in particular places. And that's going to come into play in the next chapter. We're not going there today. But I want you to understand, God doesn't have just a general sense of what's coming in the future. The whole story has been written by him, and he is working out his plan, which is for the good of those who love him. So, Abraham, in his old age, at the very time God had promised him, has this new son born to Sarah. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. What, was, what, is, what does Isaac mean? Does that have special meaning? Yes. It means laughter. I mean, I, I, the closest thing, I've never heard of a kid today other than Isaac, never heard of a kid today whose, whose name is, is laughter. I have known a few people whose nickname was Happy, um, but this kid grows up with the name laughter. Why? Because his dad's 100 and his mom is 90, okay? And I can picture Isaac saying, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> but everybody else laughed. So, when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. Why? As God commanded him. We already looked at this when the covenant of circumcision was ordained back at the time that Ishmael 
needed to be circumcised along with Abraham and everybody, all the other males in the house. So God did tell Abraham what to do. Abraham obeyed, and Abraham was 100 years old. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. What she said literally is, God has brought me Isaac. But what that means is, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have thought this possible? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And I've borne a son to him in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And so they threw a party. On the day the child was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking and said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. You remember that previously, Sarah had been very upset because as soon as Hagar found out that she was pregnant, she began to be obnoxious toward Sarah. And Sarah had sent her away at that time, and God had sent her back. But now that her son is older and there is a rival because the first wife finally has a child, and so now the second wife's child is not as important, shall we say. That child now becomes the offender. He's mocking. What was he mocking? I don't know. Mocking his little brother. How old was Isaac at this point? Probably two or three. That would be typical of the weaning of a child in that culture and at that time, and many people today. So he's making fun of his little brother, but it really ticks off Isaac's mom. She is angry, and she says, send them away. That woman, now don't forget the reason that woman had a child with Abraham is because it was Sarah's idea. Sarah thought she could use her slave girl as a way of getting a child for herself, okay? We're just going to borrow your womb, okay? But life's a lot more complicated than that. And the relationship between parent and child is a lot more complicated than that. And so what happens here is that after years of tension, years of rivalry, Now, Sarah's had enough. She's got her child, and she wants that other woman and her child banished. And when she tells her husband this, Abraham is distressed. He is not happy to hear this. Why? Because he loves Ishmael too. He loves Ishmael. There were legal questions under the customs of that day, but there was also clear affection, and you see that when God had said previously that he was going to give him another child. 
who would be his heir. And Abraham says, what about Ishmael? Can't he be the heir? God had said, I'm going to bless him, but your heir is going to be through Sarah, which just seemed impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. He will do everything he has promised. And so he's distressed, but God said to him, verse 12, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Because he's yours, Abraham, I will take care of him. I will make him into a nation. Abraham feels like he's got to do it, and God says, no. Listen to what your wife says. Do what she says. God doesn't say you have to do what your wife says all the time, but in this situation, he says, do what your wife says. And I'll take care of that boy. So, Abraham thought about it and said, well, I'm going to consider this and, and uh, I want you to know I'll, I'll, I will really give a lot of... No, that's not what happened. Abraham, early the next morning, took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and he sent them, set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Now, Beersheba hadn't been named yet. But people later on who are getting this message through Moses are going to know where that is. And that's the area where they were. She's wandering. She doesn't have a place to go. She doesn't know what to do. She's been living on Abraham's estate, if you will. She was part of that clan. She had protection. There was... Abraham had his own militia, you'll recall. I mean, she had a secure life, and now that's stripped away from her. And she is wandering around. And it's interesting that in that difficult situation, when the water runs out, it's the boy who becomes dehydrated and weak to the point that he's dying. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, that's, that's not sense. Youth are young and vigorous, and, you know, she should be the one who's being cared for by the, by the young boy. I mean, he's, he's probably 13 at this point, so, you know, why wasn't he uh, taking care of her? And uh, how, come, how come he's over there dying under a bush? I wondered that when I was a kid, when I would read this, and I'd think, that doesn't make any sense. I mean... I thought he was this old, and now it sounds like he's a little infant. Then I spent time around 13-year-olds. <laughs> and it turns out, it turns out they actually, with all of their activity, can get dehydrated. And when they do, it turns out that they can actually go down more quickly and wear out more quickly and die more quickly than some of us older, shriveled adults. 
Now, eventually you get to your second childhood, and at that point, old people are also very vulnerable. But in, in the middle age, it turns out that typically adults will often have greater resiliency and endurance than kids. Okay? I think that's one reason why most of the people who win the various marathons around the world are not 13 years old. You understand? It's not that a kid can't run a marathon. It's that actually, believe it or not, and I think this is important for us to say here in this environment, believe it or not, at age 13, you guys have not reached your peak. Understand? I mean, I know you may feel like, I'm a man. When I was 13, that's what I felt. I told you all recently that, you know, that was the point at which I said to God, I really don't understand why I can only have one wife. Because, I mean, 13 years old, I was, I was a man. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it is comical looking back, but at the time, I felt like I was really something. And I was something. Something that will draw the veil of Christian charity over, okay? <laughs> this boy was dying. And his mother was crying. And so was the boy. And God said to the mom, I've heard your son. I've heard his cry. It's not just adults that God listens to. God listens to children. And as we've grown this ministry over the years, one of the things I've been very deliberate about doing is asking kids to pray for us. And the reason for that, one of the reasons for that, is that Jesus makes it clear that God pays special attention to children. God pays special attention to children. If you think, well, God doesn't, God doesn't even see what's going on in my life, God sees exactly what's going on in your life, and he cares. He cares about you. So, God heard, and he told the mom, I've heard your son's cry. God said, lift him up, take him by the hand, for I'm going to make him into a great nation. God says, I will make him into a great nation. This is God's plan, God's provision. And then, verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. And he lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So the mom and the son actually live a life under the provision of God. And she's active. I don't know how many of you guys think it'd be cool if your mom went to another country and got a wife for you, but that's the way it worked out here. 
Okay? Um, no, I don't think I want my mom to pick up my wife. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. That's because you're 13. <laughs> At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. They could just see that God was prospering him. Undoubtedly, they knew about this miracle baby he's had, named Laughter. They see the supernatural hand of God on Abraham's life. And so they begin to fear him. Now this, in one sense, is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Egypt. When God is blessing the Jewish people in such an extraordinary way that it makes the Egyptians nervous. Okay? I'll tell you something. Just so you know, it not only happens in Scripture, it happens in current events. When God's blessing is on people, those who are not walking with God don't, do not tend to respond by saying, wow, that's really cool, I'm really happy for you. They begin to feel threatened. If you look in the New Testament at what happened with Jesus, the religious establishment did not welcome his miracles. They said, the whole world's going after him. So, they came, Abimelech and his military commander came to Abraham and said, we can see that God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Why would he suspect that Abraham might deal falsely with him? Maybe because Abraham had lied to him about his wife? You remember that story? This is the last time? And so it's like, you know, I don't know that I can really count on this guy to tell me the truth all the time. He says, now, I want you to swear before God that you're not going to deal falsely with me, that you're not going to double-cross me somehow, because I can see that God's blessing you, and I'm feeling a little threatened here. I've got a military commander, I, I mean, but you're, you're in my land because I said, okay, make yourself at home. I see you are making yourself at home, and I'm starting to get nervous. So I want you to swear that you will not deal falsely with me. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I've shown to you. And so Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham said, now, while we're talking, some of your people have taken over a well that my people dug. I mean, we, the water is gold, okay? Water is super important. Let me tell you, if you've got a whole bunch of money and you don't have water, you, you are in trouble. You, you can live without water longer than you can live without air, but that's about the only thing that you need more acutely. Water is absolutely essential the verses right before it, that was the issue with Hagar and her son Ishmael. They needed water. They're out there in this region, in the area of Beersheba, and water was 
hard to come by. And it wasn't just around in pools. You had to get it from a well. When the Lord opened her eyes, he showed her a well where she was able to get water for herself and her son. So Abraham says, excuse me, while we're on the subject, um, I, I have a legitimate claim on that well. And Abimelech said, well, this is the first I've heard of it. Okay, now I have to do a little detour here in order to tell you something. Oftentimes, people are really frustrated with somebody else about something the other person has no knowledge of. Okay? Just so you know, that even happens sometimes at the ranch. Okay? Where people are like, and, and not just among the adults, it happens among kids. Okay? Why is that person doing that? I mean, are they just completely inconsiderate? What, what is the deal? Why don't they understand the impact of what they're doing on me? And why Speak up. If something's bothering you, go to whoever is in charge of you and say, excuse me, could you help me with this? You understand? Abimelech says, uh, this is the first I've heard about it. I don't know who's done this. You didn't tell me. I heard about it only today. So Abraham said, it's mine. I dug it. I want it back. That's not what he said. He said, here, let me give you payment. And I want you to believe what I said and let that be mine. And so it was done. He replied, accept these seven ewe lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. Let's clarify, let's codify what has happened. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Beersheba can mean the well of seven or well of the oath. But in other words, they memorialized what they're doing. I bought some land. Um, actually, it was just earlier this year. And when I bought it, of course, had to have it surveyed in order to get the, the deal done. But then the surveyor marked the boundary. Every so often, I go over and make sure those boundary markers are still there. Why? You don't trust your neighbor? No, it's, I love my neighbor. I bought it from my neighbor. But I want to be real clear about where the boundary is because at some point down the road, somebody's liable to forget. There's a trail at the top of the ridge. It's a park service trail. Beautiful view up at the top of the ridge up here above the ranch. That's not where I bought the land. I bought the land over there. But guess what? Significant parts of that trail are on the ranch's land. And every so often I have to remind the park service that their trail doesn't just get close to the boundary, it's across the boundary on our side. And every time I do that, the park service acts like, what? We didn't know anything about this. <laughs> I say, look back through your correspondence, check your files, you will see. Well, the last time I did it, it was just a few years ago, they said, uh, well, we need to send a survey crew out there and, and s see if what you're saying is true. I said, please do. 
So they sent a crew. They said, can we park at your house? I said, absolutely. So they drove up the driveway. They parked at my house. They were getting ready, setting up all their equipment so they could have communication. And I said, just do me one favor. When you get up to the top of the ridge, when you get to the trail, go to this boundary right here, which is your boundary on your map, and look and see which side of the boundary the trail is on. See, the boundary marker settles it. And so they came back after about a half an hour and they said, well, uh, Pastor Wood, you're exactly right. Uh, the trail is definitely on your land. I said, thank you. You know why? Because there's no question when you look at the boundary. It's their boundary marker. We didn't put it in. It's a boundary marker from the federal government with their seal on it. And it shows this is where the park edge is. And the trail's on the other side of that. It's on our land, the ranch's land. They named this well a name that would remind everybody on both teams what the agreement was. This is the well of the oath. This is the well of the seven. Seven what? Seven U's that Abraham gave in payment to commemorate this. And an oath was given. This is Abraham's well. Got it? Now, after that was done, after the treaty had been made, Abimelech and Phicol returned to their land, and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and he stayed in that area a long time. Abraham didn't just fix things legally. Abraham worshipped the Lord. That is the most important thing that you and I do. There's nothing else in our life that is as vital to who we are and what our future holds as our worship of God. You say, well, I, I, I honestly would have to say I don't do a lot of worship. Yes, you do. You worship that which is your God. And for some people, it's in a sports arena. And for some people, it's in a concert hall. And for some people, it's at a bar. And for some people, it's online. For some people, it's in a bank. All of us are worshipers. Let's worship the Lord. Father, deliver us from idolatry. Deliver us from investing our lives in things that are empty, that simply distract us from you. Help us, we pray, to truly worship you, the living, eternal God. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.